today I want to do just one message, and then next week um, we're going to try to start a series about healing and some different things, but I um, wanted this message to really kind of frame what I want to talk about for the rest of the year, or at least the spring. And so you should have on your way in gotten some uh, small group sign-up forms. Everybody get one of those. If you did not, grab one on your way out from the Welcome Center. If you're at all interested in small groups, I would encourage you to fill that out. You're not signing your name in blood. What you're doing is you're saying, I'm interested in this. And would you uh, have somebody contact me about being in a group? Now, it's going to take us a little bit because what we're going to do is we just gather all of them and then we see where people are and we try to make groups close to where people are as best we can and we try to fill out the groups and so forth. And then we'll let you know where they all are and if the group we connect you with doesn't work for you, you can find a different one, it's not a problem. But um, anyway, we're gonna have these groups. I think I'm gonna call them Reformation groups this semester because we're really focused, my whole thing is that, is that we wanna push towards cultural reformation. Yeah changing culture and that starts inward as we're going to see in a moment that starts with me changing the own the culture of, of how I speak to myself and how I view myself but that has a spiraling outward effect where I can shift the culture of my family my workplace and so forth so in these small groups we're going to try a bunch of different practical things to grow in this and give you some ideas of what you can do to um, uh, be culture shapers. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Right? So that's where we're headed. So I'd encourage you to fill those out and then you can just drop them in. There should be a bucket or something on the Welcome Center on the way out there. If you have signed up for small groups in the past, please just do it again for my sanity, okay? Because I have to sort through all those in, in any way. All right. So, um, we're talking about cultural reformation. This is what I feel like God summoned us to focus on this whole spring. And we'll look at different areas of this. But Matthew 6, in verse 10, Jesus told us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. What this means, then, is that as Christians, we are called to learn how to shift culture. Now, what is culture? Merriam-Webster thank God, says that culture is the shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterizes a society, organization, or other group of people. So any group of people, whether it's a church or your family or your workplace or whatever, any group of people has a particular culture to it. They have a particular set of values, practices, and goals. And the culture of a place affects how people talk. It affects how people think and how people act. Is that true? Yeah. This is why being in a negative culture is so damaging. There's all this negative peer pressure to do and say things and act in certain ways that are damaging. The reverse is also true. If you can find your way into a healthy culture, it can really bring freedom and blessing and help into your life. How many of you would testify that that's true? 
So the world system has certain attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize it, but heaven has different ones. And what we want to do is partner with God to get those values and practices and goals down here. And we start with ourselves, but then it spirals outward into our families, and ultimately our goal is into the city and, and nations. And, um, <laughs> you know, one of the ways, it's funny, one of the ways that culture shows up is, like I said, at how we speak. And um, at Karis Bible College, where I went to Bible College, out in Colorado Springs, there's a particular culture. And culture is set often by the leadership and how they talk and act and so forth. And in Karis Bible College, if somebody asks you how you are, you say, I'm blessed. <laughs> and the reason you say that is because Andrew Womack, who's the head of that deal, if anybody asks him how he is, he says, I'm blessed. And the reason he says that is that he's got a serious revelation of Ephesians 1.3, which says that you've been blessed in, in heavenly places with all spiritual blessing. And so regardless of what's going on in Andrew's life, he has a really deep revelation that he's blessed, and that's what he'll say regardless of how the day is. Amen. But what's interesting is that seeps into the culture. And so you've got a whole bunch of people running around there saying, how are you? I'm blessed. I'm blessed too. We're all blessed. And it was kind of a funny thing. And some of the instructors would make fun of people for saying that all the time, you know, but because they're just trying to be cool like Andrew, basically. <laughs> but you understand that's like a small thing, but it positively shapes how people talk. And before you realize it, that kind of culture will make it on the inside of you. And you might start to think that you actually are blessed. And um, we were happy to be in that culture because it helped shape that in us as well. And then my pastor... Um, just really believe strongly in the favor of God, and, and he would confess that all the time as well. He would always say this, that life isn't fair, we have favor. And uh, it's true. So let's just practice. Let's all say this together. I am blessed. I am blessed. Life is not fair. Life is not fair. I have favor. I have favor. The king of the universe, the king of the universe likes me. And he, and he is in a good mood. Good mood. Hallelujah. Amen. So that's the kind of thinking that we want to influence our culture here. And if you say stuff like that in your family, mm -hmm. it's helpful. It really is. All right. So the world has certain characteristics like they value power and control. You know, that's true. But heaven values freedom, letting people make their own decisions. Well, that's scary, Pastor. Yeah, well, that's why heaven likes it, because heaven likes courage. The world has this culture of defaming people. How many of you have noticed that? I mean, you just, anybody does anything nowadays, and you just, you just get on Twitter or whatever and just destroy them. Well, that's not how heaven is. Heaven practices honor. Heaven sees past people's mess-ups, and it treats them according to their inherent value in the kingdom. And then the world wants everybody to just be the same and conform, or if, you know, if, if be diverse in the same way, you know. But anyway, that was a joke, but sometimes I have to tell people when I tell jokes. But anyway, but heaven values unity, which only exists in diversity. So... 
Point number two, broadly speaking, effective Christian missional thinking, in my mind, requires us to be strategic and long-term about how to impact the values, practices, and goals of society, not just how to get out of here and go to heaven. Now, I'm thankful that we get to go to heaven, and I'm all for We need to be, you know, preaching the gospel and getting people born again and stuff. But what's concerning to me is that often the way we view the future is so negative in, in Christianity that um, many people have just sort of given up hope on our ability to have any influence on our culture. Well, that's true. And uh, the person with, the people that have the most influence in the world are the people with the most hope. And when the church loses hope for our society, other people with hope in the secular world will rush in and define what the future looks like. And that's happened to a large extent. Um, This isn't a new phenomenon. As you go back through history, um, starting after the Reformation, there was a whole bunch of optimism about... um, you know, the world, and so there's a bunch of Christian missionaries going out, and they're doing three things, really. They're um, educating people as best they can. They're ministering to people's health needs. You know, I mean, it was 1500, so those doctors weren't quite the same as now, but, but anyway, they're trying, <laughs> okay? And they're preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus. So they're meeting uh, intellectual needs, they're meeting physical needs, and they're meeting spiritual ones. It's a pretty good strategy. And so they have optimism that if you, if you will uh, invest in people in these three areas, you can help shape the future culture of a, of a nation. And that's actually proven true. But what happens is, over time, various you know, world events happen, world wars and stuff, and the optimism drops, and we become pessimistic about the future, and we quit caring about, um, you know, intellectual needs and physical needs, and we focus solely on spiritual ones. Now, again, I'm not criticizing that at all. I want people to, to go to heaven. But the deal is, is often if we, if we neglect these certain cultural aspects, then culture slides into a, into a situation where it's anti-gospel. And then it's harder to preach the gospel. Does that make sense? And so, you know, I want the church in China to to flourish, and it's doing awesome. Thank God there's major revival, but it's all underground. And you understand, I mean, if if the culture of that nation would shift to where it would be legal, that'd be better, right? I mean, it'd be better. Now... Should we believe for people to keep getting born again and, and while that's not happening? Sure. But should we pray that, that the you know, communist dictatorship there would fall and, that the, and it would be open to the gospel? Yep. That's, that's the real mission, right? Yeah. Everybody okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so um, Obviously, these are big picture things, and, and I'm not suggesting that we somehow are the solution to all that, but what I'm saying is, is if you want your family and your, your workplace or whatever, your city, to be open to the gospel, we, we really need to think about big picture stuff 
and not back off from cultural fights. All right? And so um, because these early missionaries valued not just the next world, but this one, they labored to influence every area of life. When the church abdicates or gives up its role in influencing culture, secular forces rush in to do it for us. All right? So we don't want to let that happen. How do you actually shift culture? That's a great question, right? <laughs> we're, going to try to, we're going to try to figure it out. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of an idea today. But this is what we're going to be trying to do in our small groups and stuff. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Everybody say, we're going to make progress. <laughs> See, the deal is, this is, this is a, I'm, I'm serious about this. This is a long-term initiative. When I talk about reformation, I'm talking about my kids and my kids' kids. I'm talking about sowing seeds that I won't see the harvest of. And what worries me is that, is that we can become sometimes so myopic. Now, I'm, I'm all into doing, to, to living for now and, and doing what we need to do for now, but, I mean, uh, there's, there's forces working against us that are targeting our kids and our grandkids and stuff, and they're, they're trying to shape the culture. And, and I want to have a counterculture here. That's why I planted this church. So I'm trying to be intentional about what kind of culture we have here. All right, so look over at, at 1 Samuel 14. How do you shift a culture? Because sometimes it seems like such an impossible task, but it's really not. I'm going to use Jonathan, but if you're a Chiefs fan, I want you to notice it's really similar to Patrick Mahomes. Because <laughs> he's a culture shifter. He really is. All right, 1 Samuel 14. We're going to read just some portions here. The deal is, Jonathan is in a really negative culture. His dad, Saul, has kind of gone nuts, and all of, all of the Israelite army is afraid. They're in a culture ruled by fear. Anybody ever been in a culture ruled by fear? All right, They're, And fear controls you, and it tells you all this stuff you can't do, and it prevents you from being yourself. And it prevents you from doing the things God created you to be. Well, Jonathan... He didn't have a lot of influence. He had influence over himself and his armor bearer. You might not have a lot of influence. You might have influence over yourself and, and you know, your best friend or your kid or whatever, but that's enough. So in verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man that carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. They're trying to fight the Philistines. And it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint for the Lord to save by many, or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in your heart. Turn, and, turn you, and behold, I am with thee according to all that's in your heart. All right? And so um, they go, and they, they come up with a plan that they're going to reveal themselves to the Philistines. And if the Philistines say, Come up here, then that's a sign to them that God's given it to, into their hands. And so skip down to verse 13. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men. Within it was about a half acre of land. Okay, now, I mean, for two guys to kill 20 people, that's pretty significant, right? But, I mean, when we're talking about armies, it's not really that big a deal. 
At least you wouldn't think. I mean, it, it doesn't appear to be that big a deal. But watch what happens when somebody starts to live courageously and be who they are. I mean, Jonathan was a warrior. He was born to do this. He'd have been a great king if his dad wasn't a knucklehead. Because him and David were like cut from the same cloth. And so anyway, skip down to verse 20. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came down to battle. So, so Saul's looking out, and he sees his kid down there killing all these Philistines. <laughs> I, I skipped this verse. I wanted to read this to you. I skipped. This is a great, maybe the best verse. Verse 15. So Jonathan's killing all these people, and it says, And there was a trembling in the host. The Philistines are afraid. And in the field and among all the people, the garrison, the spoilers, they all also trembled and the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. <laughs> Jonathan lived so boldly and courageously as who he was that the earth shook. Amen. Come on. Yes. Yes. I want to live like that. Yeah. The earth shook. Well, there's like an earthquake and Saul and all the guys are looking around, what is going on? They see Jonathan down there, and he's just wiping out these Philistines. And all of a sudden, the light bulb comes on, and they think, you know what? Maybe these guys aren't as scary as we thought. Yeah. Maybe it's not as bad as we thought. Maybe we can win. You know, if you have a culture of losing like this town has, but then Patrick Mahomes comes in there and he starts throwing 50 touchdown passes. Hallelujah. You start to realize maybe it's not as hard as we thought it was. Maybe we can win. And people around him play better because you start to grow confidence. Well, what happened to Saul? Saul and all the people that were with him, they assembled themselves and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. <laughs> that means they killed a bunch of people. <laughs> All right? Old Testament's bloody. Thank God we don't live back then. Anyway, uh, we, we don't, remember, Ephesians 6 says you don't wrestle flesh and blood. So we aren't, we aren't, you can kill some demons all you want, but don't, you know, people aren't your problem. All right? <laughs> so anyway, moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines, get this, before that time, which went up into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites and with Saul and Jonathan. So there's these people that are living with the Philistines. They forgot who they were. They're, they're hanging out with the enemy. But they see this guy living courageously as who he is, and it, they're like, hey, I realized something. I'm, I'm hanging out with the wrong camp. And they start to fight. But that's not all. Verse 22, Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. So there's a whole bunch of people hiding that are scared to get engaged, and, the, and Jonathan wins one small victory, and all of a sudden the whole culture shifts. It's that simple. And they start to roll back this oppressive force that's against them. Well, that's really encouraging, I think. Now, what's, what's that mean? On the back of your notes. 
Let's just read this. Jonathan is in, unhealthy, is in an unhealthy culture ruled by fear. He doesn't have much influence, just himself and his armor bearer. He doesn't have many resources. If you read this story, him and his dad are the only people with swords in the whole country. But he thinks, I'm going to live boldly as myself and see what happens. So his courage catalyzes the people around him to re-engage and participate in the battle. And people formerly sitting on the sidelines, sidelines now start to work for Jesus. Man, that's encouraging. All right, let's, let's read what the actual principles are that are behind that. Turn over to Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60 and 61 are about the summons of the church to shift culture. If you can understand this, it's really powerful. Isaiah 60 verse 1 says... Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Does that say your light is coming? No. It says your light's already come. Why? Because Jesus, the light of the world, already came. And Jesus lives on the inside of you, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So what do you do? You, you start to rise up and live courageously for Jesus and start to be who you are. Amen. You get heaven on the inside of you, and then you start to live it out. Hallelujah. Well, then what happens? Well, behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and the gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise on you and his glory shall be seen upon you. Amen. So there's going to be darkness. There's all, that's, the, that's the evil culture, mm -hmm. right? So you're trying to live one way, and then there's this darkness out there. And if you stare too much at the darkness, it's gross darkness. Mm -hmm. Meaning it's gross you out. No, it's not really what it means. <laughs> but but it's, it's overwhelming yeah. sometimes. And if you just look out there and you study the darkness, you can be tempted to be intimidated. Right? And that's what happened to all these guys hiding in the, in the mountain. They're looking out there at the armies and they're thinking, boy, we're in trouble. We aren't going to win this. They're just wanting to run away. They don't have hope. Because they don't have hope, they don't have influence. But this one guy, Jonathan, he starts to rise up because he's got some hope. And he gets one guy to come with him and he starts to win. Now notice verse 3. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see all they gather themselves together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Here's how life works. As you figure out who you are and your unique gifts and talents and anointings and stuff, and you just start to be yourself and live boldly, there will be people that are drawn to you. Now, maybe not a lot of people. Maybe a lot of people. I don't know. But be thankful for however many it is. Right? That's what, I, that's what me and Pastor Brian try to do. Right? <laughs> however many people come to church, you just be thankful. Because it means you've got some influence. Right? And so you do have some influence. And so the more authentically and the more courageously you live for Jesus, it takes time sometimes, but over time your influence grows. If you steward it well, it'll grow. Now, what do you do with that influence? Well, let's read chapter 61. Skip over to 61. 1. 
The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel of the meek. He's sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those that mourn, to appoint unto them in, that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. All right, so what do you start to do to the people that you have influence? Now, now, are there people that you don't have influence over? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. So do you, do you, do you want to jump straight into trying to fix all their problems? No. no. Not really. You, you want to, I mean, I, I mean, if God opens the door, then, then minister to them, okay? But, but usually you want to win influence first. Yeah. Okay. So you get some influence. And then you start to share with them the gospel, the full gospel that Jesus died so they could be free from sin, sickness, poverty, fear, anxiety, all kinds of bondages. And you start to, you start to exchange. You start to do the divine exchange. You start to say, look, Jesus took your heaviness and he gave you joy. Jesus, Jesus took your ashes, the brokenness in your life, and he turned it around and he made something beautiful. Yeah. How many of you had somebody in your life share the gospel with you and it helped change who you are? How many of you had that happen, right? All right. How many of you know that when they, when, when they shifted some of the, the ashes in your life and made something beautiful out of it, that it not only blessed you, but it blessed somebody else? Is that true? So look, <laughs> when you get influence over people and you start to share the gospel and you start to trade out their brokenness and, and give them wholeness in Jesus, it says they'll be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Now notice this verse. This is the crux of the whole thing. It says, then they will build the old ways. They will raise up the former desolations and they will repair the waste cities. The broken people that you minister to, they will go out and shift the broken culture around you. Amen. You don't have to fix the whole thing. Just those around you. Because it spirals outward. And you don't know who, you don't know who the person next to you is. I love one of my favorite all-time stories about the Azusa Street Revival is there's a guy that came out of there. I forgot his name now. I apologize. I've told this story a bunch of times. But, but he left Azusa, and he went over to Germany to be a missionary. And he thought, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to win a whole bunch of people to Jesus. Hallelujah. And so he's real excited, you know. And he's driving around Germany. He gets lost. And he ends up in this small town, and he thinks, well... I'm, I'm here. I might as well have a revival. So he asks, is there anybody sick here? It's a small town, and he can hear this guy groaning. Ugh! You know, it's a small town. There's probably thin walls. And he's like, who is that guy? And they're like, oh, that's brother so-and-so. You know, he's got some terrible disease. And, he's, and he says, well, I'm going to go pray for him. So he goes up there and prays for this guy, and the guy gets healed. And then he leaves it, leads him to Jesus. And you'd think at that point, the guy was thinking, man, I'm going to have revival here. All these people are going to give their lives to Jesus. This town's going to be set on fire. It'll be awesome. Well, none of that happened. One guy got born again. 
The deal was, though, that shifted the culture of that man's family. And his grandson is a man named Reinhard Bonnke. And Reinhard Bonnke is the greatest evangelist that ever lived. And he's shifted the culture of entire nations. Man, that's, that's a good word, guys. I mean, that's, we, don't, we don't know. This is why I get excited, because I, I don't know. I mean, I believe, I believe Jesus is going to win. I believe it already has won. I believe culture is going to shift. I believe heaven's going to come to earth. And what if it started right here? Yes. Why not? Why not? Why don't we just go out and live authentically for Jesus as ourselves? <laughs> now, I want you to think about this a little bit. There's this thing called the, the seven mountains of influence. Anybody heard about that? Yes. A couple people. All right, well, it comes from this scripture in Revelation. There's the, the great harlot, and she's sitting on these seven, seven mountains. So what that lady represents, all right, it's not, all it is, you know, people, are, people think a bunch of crazy stuff about that. All it is is the false religious system. It's a bunch of lies, all right? And so there have been, historically, a whole bunch of lies that control various nations, And, and what and, and societies and, and people and stuff, and they keep people in bondage. And so, <clears throat> but what, what that means for us, one of the ways you can interpret that, is that these lies, they're spread over the seven segments of society. And it's just a, it's just a way of breaking society up so you can look at it holistically. Because in church, we tend to be myopic and think that some nonsense about how, you know, the only person that accomplishes anything is the pastor and, and whatever, all right? But there, there, are, there are seven sectors of society, and depending on who you listen to, there's, the list is a little different, but, but, you know, it's things like family, the economy, the government, education, media and entertainment, healthcare, and then spirituality and religion. Well, so what I do is touch about one of those realms. But for, for society really to be shifted and changed and heaven to come to earth, we, we need to have people in all of them. Right? We need people like Dabo Sweeney. Anybody watch Dabo give glory to Jesus after, after he won the national championship? It's awesome. What's, what's Dabo doing? That guy is just being himself. He's good at football coaching. He's really good at it. Does he need to feel bad about that? No. Does he need to think he's less than, the, than being a pastor or some nonsense? No. He needs to arise and shine and be who he is. Right? And what happens is he's got a lot of influence. How'd he get the influence? By being himself. Not by, by not trying to be somebody else, by being himself. But then what's he doing? He uses his influence to preach the gospel. And I think the quarterback's a Christian, and I mean, I, you know, I'm, I don't know anything about Clemson, but I'm cheering for him. Plus, Nick Saban's kind of a curmudgeon, so I'm, you know, I like people that are happy. So anyway, that's not a good reason to root for anything, but does that make sense? 
So the, the call of Christianity, in my opinion, is to bring reformation into these various spheres of society as God grants you influence. And it's important, not control. There's a difference. What we're trying to do is, is just have a genuine desire to help people, not to make people in different parts of the world our project. Nobody wants to be your project. What we want to do is genuinely seek the welfare of people, even those who passionately disagree with us. Read this verse, Jeremiah 29, 7. This is an amazing verse. It says, And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray to the Lord for it. For in the peace or the welfare of that city, you will have peace or welfare. This is right before the Jewish nation is about to go captive into Babylon. And he's saying, look, this is a corrupt system. It's messed up. But I want you to pray for its welfare. And I want you to seek the welfare of the people in that system. Because in, in their welfare and, and peace, you'll find peace. What, what's that mean? I mean, look, part of Christianity is just genuinely, humbly trying to make people's lives better. It's got to be more than that. All right, we do need to preach the gospel and live for Jesus, but, but he's saying, look, how about you just love people with no strings attached? That's really what he's saying, because if you love people with no strings attached, you know what will happen? You'll get influence, not control, influence, which is the most powerful commodity on the planet. Hallelujah. So, we're going to look at this year, not, not these different sectors of society. We're going to try to figure out different ways to get heaven more on the inside of us so that we can live powerfully and shift culture around us. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to practice this, you know, we're not going to change the whole world in the next three months, all right? But we can change our, it could happen. Amen. I love you. I love your faith, sister. I shouldn't prophesy that. We don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who any of you are. You, my, next, Reinhardt Bonke might be sitting in here, so. Um, anyway, but let's all stand up. Is everybody blessed? Everybody's all right? I want to encourage you. Let's live boldly and authentically as ourselves and, and for Jesus. Good things are going to happen. Our influence is going to grow and the gospel is going to go forward and we're all going to be happier. Hallelujah. All right. I'm going to pray for you. If my prayer team could come down here, if there's some of you here. No, they're, they're, I'm joking. All right. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, I'm going to pray for everybody. And then please, uh, even if you don't want to stay, grab a pizza <laughs> and, and uh, uh, eat it on the way out. Um, Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity that we get, have to partner with you to bring heaven to earth. And Lord, fill us with hope again. Fill us with hope for our families, for our society, for our city, for our culture. And let us not yield to the darkness and think, boy, we just ought to give up and, and get out of here. We thank you that you're coming back for us. But in the meantime, Lord, let us commit ourselves to your, to your commandment to occupy till you come. And so, Lord, we worship you. We love you. And we thank you for what you're doing in this house. In Jesus' name, amen.